Hello and welcome to Policy 360 Unplugged, the podcast where we bring you insightful conversations with policymakers. Today I'm delighted to welcome Pam Cameron, DUP MLA for Southampton. Thank you so much for agreeing to take part in this podcast. I really appreciate it. So I suppose my first question to you is what inspired you to become involved in politics? Well, thanks, Ellen. Um, it's very nice for you to come and see me and talk to me. Uh, I suppose the best way for me to describe how I got involved in politics is, is to tell you what actually happened to me. Yeah. I, I do this frequently when I meet groups of people and stuff as well, and people are always a wee bit... Um, amazed because it's not what you expect to hear. <laughs> so basically, um, as a young woman in her twenties with three very young children, um, I, I came from a you know a, a background where um, my my parents were very um, politically minded uh, and came from a quite a um, fairly strict church background. But so we always had um, a, a real interest in politics. The news was always on and whatnot. But um, I married um, pretty young and had my children um, one after the other. I had three children by the time I was 24, so mm-hmm. um, I was a stay-at-home mum until my, my youngest went to uh, primary school and then I went back out to work. Um, and around the time, politics was always ongoing, but my dad arrived up to my house one evening and says, come on, Pam, we says, we're going to join the DUP. And I went, what? <laughs> what are you talking about? And he had been invited um, by uh, somebody from the church to um, go along to a DUP branch meeting mm-hmm. um, in, in Randallstown. And so I said, OK, right, let's go. And away we went to the branch meeting. And he never went back and I never left. My goodness. So, I mean, I think I was just really caught up at that level. You know, I was really caught up with... Um, I just enjoyed kind of adult company because my day was filled with young kids mm-hmm. um, and I really loved um, electioneering and the volunteering aspect of it all because there is a lot of that in, within political parties. I loved going around the doors in election times and campaigning. I loved um, fundraising for the party and doing all that sort of thing. So that's what I did uh, and it became almost like a, like a hobby and uh, really enjoyed that and very quickly ended up with kind of you know, um, responsibilities within the party. So, you know, became like the treasurer of the local branch and that, uh, you know, builds up into other things. We take roles on within the, the local association and whatnot. So through time, um, it became, it was almost like a natural progression where um, people, you know, get to know you and uh uh, start to expect you to do things like, you know, oh, there's an election coming up. Maybe you should put your name forward for selection for this. You should run for council. You should do this. And and uh, as somebody who doesn't have an awful lot of confidence, um, I was very much encouraged by other people um, talking to me and did put myself forward for um, different roles. So I, I ran for... Uh, council uh, and at that time I had had been working for um, Wilson Clyde MLA uh, for a number of years and then I went to work for Sammy Wilson 
um, in East Antrim and, and was based in Lauren. Uh, at that time, Sammy was uh, an MLA and a, and a councillor, uh, and then he ran uh, for Westminster. So there was Westminster election and council election, and I ran for council, he ran for Westminster, and we were both elected those roles. So I kept my full-time role as office manager for Sammy um, for for seven years, and during that time then also um, was on the old Antrim Council yeah. um, before the review of public administration. So. Um, thoroughly enjoyed all of that uh, and I really find that council in particular give a great opportunity to really mix with all communities Um, and I think it's only when you get involved at a kind of elected level that that gives you a a real opportunity to mix with other communities and mix with people you maybe would never have met Uh, and then that was really compounded um, the year that I that I um, was mayor, uh, 2010, 2011, uh, was a was a fabulous time. Again, I had no, uh, I'm, I'm not remotely ambitious. I've never, never have been, I don't think I ever will be. Um, and I remember uh, as a council group, we were talking about, you know, who would put their name forward to be mayor. Um, I didn't have any ambition or, or any want to do it, but I didn't, I was the only female amongst my group on the council and I thought, well, I don't want them thinking I don't want to do it because I'm yeah. female. Yeah. So I put my name in and um, and was was elected as um, mayor of Antrim. So that was for me uh, absolutely fabulous. Um, I was the youngest ever mayor in Antrim and the only ever female mayor in Antrim. And that that record stands. I'm very proud of that yeah. because obviously then Antrim and Newton Abbey um, amalgamated. And uh, so I, I will still hold that yeah. record as being the youngest and the only ever female mayor of Antrim, something I'm incredibly proud of. And it was a wonderful opportunity. Um, it was difficult. I was still working full time. There were no Merrill cars or any fancy add-ons. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was a very busy year, but it was also very good. And then during that year, my Merrill term actually only lasted for 11 months not 12 because there was a clash with um, an assembly election mm-hmm. and again people were speaking to me we as a party had already we already had two elected MLAs and it was a six seat um, um, constituency and the party was looking for a third candidate yeah. to run as kind of a sweeper I would say okay. um, so you know, you, you would run more candidates than you have in the hope that you would increase your vote, but not necessarily get, you know, yes. everybody elected. Yeah. So I knew the party were looking for a third candidate and um, people were encouraging me to put myself forward. And again, I thought, I can't, I couldn't do that. But at the same time, then I kind of looked around me and thought, well, I could do it as well as this one. I could do it as well as that one. Um, and I did allow myself to go forward. So I was um, selected to run as a third candidate in South Antrim for that um, assembly election in, in 2011 and um, got the biggest shock of my life when I actually was elected uh, and was the th- um, so that was the third DUP yeah. seat within a six-seater constituency so which was incredible and not what was expected I think uh, by anyone including um, my own party we didn't expect to get that but I I really attributed that success um, to um, 
the, the support I had on the ground in, in Antrim area in particular. Um, I'd done a lot of charity work with uh, Women's Aid and for Macmillan Cancer and had great opportunities to, to, to meet and uh, you know gain friendships with people from all walks of lives and they weren't necessarily unionists mm-hmm. um, or, or, or Protestants and I had I was very proud that I had uh, um, Catholics who had signed my nomination papers and uh, that really meant an awful lot to me and I do believe that um, and it's there on record I, I did get transfers from from other yeah. um, from other um, people you wouldn't normally have got transfers from in, in a PR election and I think that's what got me over the line and, and what was what saw me elected to the Northern Ireland Assembly. So it was a big shock and it was also a big shock then having to leave the job that I absolutely adored working for Sammy. Um, I didn't really want to leave that role. <laughs> I, I absolutely loved it and, and I was not prepared for uh, what lay ahead in, in the Assembly um, because I didn't really have a terrible knowledge, good knowledge of the Assembly workings and of the processes and the standing orders and all that stuff because I was primarily focused on looking after the constituency office and the constituents. Yeah. So it, it's not what people you know, yeah. like, you know, there was no, you know, degree in politics or yeah. or uh, a, a desire to actually enter into that world. Yeah. But but I ended up there. So I, I always say I, I ended up in politics by accident. Yeah, uh, it's, uh, it's actually w- wonderful hearing that story that you had um, people that believed in you yes. and could see something in yes. you and, and encouraged you to, to go forward. So I suppose you've you've them to thank for that. I <laughs> really do. And, and I have to say, um, I think they were almost all men that encouraged me, yeah. uh, which was fantastic. Yeah, that's um, good. Yeah, really good. So I suppose, can you share then some of the things that your party has achieved that, that you're proud of and also what you have achieved that you're proud of? So um, I suppose one of the probably biggest examples that most people would recognise and maybe not remember that this was this came via the DUP was was the uh, the over sixties bus pass, yes, uh, which we still have, uh, allowing over sixties to, to basically travel free. Um, that that was a, a DUP win and something that I think we're all very proud of and and really recognise the benefit that, that that brings in society. So that's I think that's a good example for me personally. Um, in the last term, um, I sponsored a private member's bill um, on autism, the autism mm-hmm. amendment, which basically um, amended a previous legislation uh, from 2007. Uh, and this is about, you know, saying uh, improved uh, services and um, improved awareness of uh, for people with autism. And that's something I'm incredibly proud of uh, great support in uh, in terms of the, the legislation is a little bit unusual in that both those pieces of autism legislation came about through the work of the old party group on autism yeah. mm-hmm. um, and uh, again I kind of got involved in that grouping almost by accident too but um, I've been ch- chairing that for a number of years now and it was uh, it came it fell to me and I was very um, nervous about doing it but um, very proud to have headed up that piece of legislation because it, it is a private member so it has to be in yeah. the name of an, 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 an individual mm-hmm. and um, I worked very closely with all of the parties on not just on the, the old party group but also within the, 
the health committee, which I was um, deputy chair at the time. I worked very closely with all the parties, uh, all my party, all the assembly colleagues on the committee to ensure that that um, uh, private members bill did succeed mm-hmm. and worked very hard, especially in the background, to, to um, ensure that we had, we kept a kind of all party ethos around that legislation and, it, and it, it, it led to a smooth sailing through the assembly and it did yeah. become law. That's something I'm incredibly proud of. That's and the, the, the work continues, of course, with that because um, what we want to see now is the legislation all implemented in full um, mm-hmm. and that has been stalled because of um, funding. Yeah, yeah. So. that's fantastic. I mean, you, you touched on, on policy um, there, you know, and uh, can you sort of tell me a little bit about how the community and voluntary sector can engage better with you and your party in terms of if they want a piece of policy implemented? You know, what do they need to do if they're approaching you and how you like to receive information? Yeah, well, I mean, for me personally, I think there's nothing can beat that face-to-face interaction. And if you have built some kind of relationship with um, an individual, that is also very helpful because, especially when, obviously, the assembly's not up and running now, but when it is, it's a, it's a crazy environment. It's incredibly busy and it's actually a very, very difficult um, even getting the time to process your thoughts around yeah. different subjects and topics um, and I refer back to the work on the, the health committee we had uh, so many pieces of really important legislation that we did see through to their conclusion um, but that's it's an awful lot of work and I, I just find it's, it was um, um, very challenging even just keeping track of what you thought each of the different um, um, issues and the different pieces of legislation that you were scrutinising and, and and debating and seeing through in the Assembly. So we, I think as politicians we rely very heavily on lobbyists and on the third sector in particular um, to um, give us a good steer as to what what will be best for, um, for Northern Ireland and for the constituents. So it, the, the the work of lobbyists is, is really really important. But for me personally, uh, there obviously there are different ways to, to interact and to get your message across mm-hmm. to politicians. Um, we tend to get an overload of words handed to us in the assembly. Uh, the committee packs are huge. Before we went pe- before we went paperless in the assembly, um, basically every every committee had at least one weekly meeting and that weekly meeting could have been, especially on health, would have been a lever arch file mm-hmm. full of papers, which was quite frankly impossible to read. So you had to try and pick out the bits you knew you really needed to read and um, a lot of the time you're really flying by the seat of your pants trying to keep track. So to have um, one-to-one interaction with um, the third sector um, and to be and also to, to be able to go and see different examples of whatever the topic is that's really, really important because that's the type of thing that actually sticks with you and sticks in in your head and gives you a practical practical example of a, of why you need to change why you need a policy change why you need a certain policy implemented or, or brought in yeah. um, that those practical examples yeah. are what sticks with you and really 
makes it clear to you what why we need to do what we need yeah. to do yeah. uh, so it, it's really important I think to get those one-to-one -one interactions and to have examples and if possible again the problem is with time it's very difficult to get the time to actually um, to to get through all of the information that's being thrown at you mm -hmm. so to get those practical examples laid out to you and for for you to, mm -hmm. to get uh, physical examples, mm -hmm. uh, things in front of you that actually really stick with you and, and mean something to you and will demonstrate you know, the difference that a piece of legislation will make to somebody's yeah. life. That's really, really important. Yeah, and would you say that um, trust and um, honesty is important as well when you're building up those relationships with, with politicians? Yeah, I think it's really, really vital because if, if you've... If you've built a, a relationship with um, an individual, and actually in the third sector, I'm sure you'll know, um, people tend to um, travel around a lot in yeah. terms of employment within the third sector. So that's actually you know great too, because you could be working with somebody on a particular topic, and then a year later they're, they've gone to a yeah. completely different organisation. But you, but that if you've built up a good relationship yes, with that them, carries on. That carries on. So you have that trust base there. You know this is a good person. Who, who wants the best for people around you and you have faith in what they're telling you um, is the case. So if they say, you know, this is something that we need, uh, then you're already, you know, on, on yeah, the front. you're a few steps ahead. Absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. You're not thinking, well, hey, is this yeah. crank, you know, you know, <laughs> what are they asking for? And it's also good if... Um, if you've a good relationship with people and they, and they and the honesty has to include, obviously, you know, reality. And yes. you know, because we can all have our wish lists um, and things that we we really want, but what can we actually do under the you know severe uh, restrictions yeah. that we have, especially so in terms of finances and whatnot? Yeah. So it, when people come to you that you trust and they're actually saying, "Here's something that we can do," doesn't cost an awful lot, uh, but it'll make a real difference, or it's a real preventative that can save money in the future. Those are really really vital uh, pieces of information because you you know these things are doable and will improve everybody's experience in this life. So I suppose compromise is one of the key areas as well then? Absolutely, yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's so many things come through the Assembly uh, when it is working. It's so many great ideas, but actually, um, you know, if, if it's not realistic, it, it can become a, almost a, a hindrance in, yeah. in the future. You know, so you, you can have your wish list, but you can't have everything on it. You have to be realistic about it. it's just like your your home budget. Mm -hmm. You you have to be able to manage it. You may want you know a brand new car every year, but you can't you can't have it. But what's the best thing you can have, and what's going to yeah. you know provide and, and make your your life easier and uh, and and better and more enjoyable? So you have to compromise, and in politics and in government, that compromise has to be there as well. Um, so yes, yeah, that's very helpful. Um, could you maybe describe how your uh, party develops policy um, itself? Now, not thinking about the the outside and the community and voluntary sector, but how you you as a party develop policy from initial idea. Yeah, so um, uh, we would have um, people from all different walks of life would be um, MLAs within the party. So. Um, it, it's easy to sometimes, you know, single out, you know, somebody who comes from a farming background that they're going to have a natural interest and knowledge in, you know, 
Dara, for instance. Mm-hmm. Um, so the, there's that kind of um, starting point. But um, over time, you know, the, the party have, have developed and uh, given different people different spokespersons roles. You could spend all day kind of run around all the different topics and subjects, but it's better to actually concentrate in, in one area if you can. Or, you know, obviously your constituency work will take you across, you know, all sorts of different scenarios and different topics. But we also have um, spokesperson roles as well. Um, so formerly um, I was uh, the health spokesperson um, and now I am the uh, spokesperson for disability and equality and participation. And that's obviously these different rules can crisscross across mm-hmm. each other and uh, but I think it is important to try and concentrate in one area and it also means that the third sector have a person um, on a particular subject that they can go to to lobby especially on a uh, Northern Ireland wide basis not yeah. just within your constituency. So I think that's important um, and then we would feed back into our MLA group um, as well and, and talk about the issues especially when they uh, there are particular things that that come up that are very pertinent and and um, issues that may come up in legislation. Then we would go back to that person, that spokesperson role, because they will have spoken to um, the different organisations and the different departments on that particular topic. So then we would we would discuss that mm-hmm. um, amongst ourselves as an MLA group too, and come to usually come to con- consensus uh, on what way we want to go in any particular issue. So it is really important that work. Uh, that is done, mm-hmm. um, in particular with the third sector. I think um, as politicians, we have a huge respect for the third sector and yeah. really do rely on their expertise, not just in terms of creating policy, but also um, in terms of service delivery. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's fantastic. Thank you. Um, uh, my last question to you is, um, what advice would you give to uh, the community and voluntary sector and how to build relationships with politicians? Well, and with the risk of repeating myself, I think that one-to-one interaction is really, really invaluable. Um, and um, keeping that up, I mean, one, once you've developed a little bit of a relationship, it's, it's easier then to follow up with, you know, an email or a text message or, or whatever. Um, I mean, social media does uh, play a huge role in, in how we all communicate but it's not necessarily um, the, the best way to actually um, progress an issue mm-hmm. because there can be an assumption that you understand um, what it is that's wanted or needed or what, what, what the lobbyist is looking for. Uh, I think again the practical examples, the one-to-one the, the demonstration of, of, of those needs and that one-on-one communication is, is very, very powerful. Um, even, um, I would say, th- there's one-to-one interaction and then there's, we would also um, have like um, MLA group meetings that we would invite then, um, a third sector organisation and on a topic to, to inform us all and that can be very useful as well to, to have those conversations with the, the third sector there and then the table with all the different varying views because you know one topic may mean some something to me in Southampton but it means nothing to somebody in Fermanagh South Tyrone for instance you know so that can be very useful as well in terms of teasing out um, all the details so that can be very useful and also interaction at the likes of our party conferences and stuff that can be very very good as well there's opportunities to really um, 
talk and, and, and chat around issues uh, are, are very important. That's great. Pam, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in to Policy 360 Unplugged. We hope today's conversation with Pam has been insightful. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe, leave us a review and share it with others. Until next time.